0: Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. I don't know if the uh, praise team read the passage this morning, but uh, that song fit beautifully with it. Um, it's always been a favorite of mine in youth camp and other places, just to be able to remember that uh, Christ is who we, who we trust in, and Christ is who our hope is in. Well, this morning we're gonna be in Colossians chapter two. I think we may have skipped around some if you've been following the reading uh, through this year with the church, uh, with pastor, sermon, and Romans being a little long, but we're gonna be in Colossians chapter two this morning. I will give you a heads up, we will be in some other scripture passages throughout, so if you're a note taker and you want the references later, reach out to me or the church office um, if you need to keep up with those some as well. But we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 2 and remembering that we are in Christ. But I want to first set the scene for this passage. Uh, The letter was written by Paul. Paul was imprisoned in Rome at the time. He wrote to Colossians, Philippians, some of the other letters from his imprisonment in Rome. He was there uh, for the count of the gospel. We know last week that we heard that Paul was taken a uh, prisoner um, by the Jewish people. He stood before King Agrippa and the other leaders, and he had appealed to say, hey, I'm going to go to Caesar. Well, Caesar was in Rome, and so Paul eventually made it there, and this is where he wrote his letters from there and later on. And so uh, Paul, in you know, was a missionary. He made travels in the early church. He made four different missionary journeys throughout his time. But Paul wasn't the only one that was preaching and teaching the gospel. He had some other people that were alongside him. So the fact of uh, the matter is that the church at Colossae was planted by his friend, Epaphras. Paul had never been there, but the church had been planted as they did missionary work, and some of the people that went with him scattered about and went to other places and so Paul's writing to the church to encourage them he's gotten reports that they are dealing and struggling with false teaching that crept into the church they were pulling back into the Jewish laws and saying you need to follow these traditions in order to be right with God and uh, they were also lowering the deity and preeminence of Christ by saying that Christ wasn't all that the people needed in order to have salvation in order to uh, to follow Christ and so Paul is writing this letter to them and calling them to remember who they are in Christ and to help ground them in that foundation. And so we're going to see this morning that in Christ, the mystery of God is revealed, that in Christ, eternal life is one, and that finally, in Christ, true spiritual growth is experienced. And even though this letter was written hundreds of years ago, thousands, um, it still holds relevant to us today here in 2023 at Coastal Oaks, uh, for we too need to be reminded of the simple gospel message and be grounded in that individually, and as a church as well in these times that we live in. So I want to briefly pray, and then we'll dive in here. Dear God, we just thank you for this morning. I thank you that you promised in your word that every day your grace and mercy and love are brand new for us, God. I just thank you that we've had time this morning to worship you in song, God, and be encouraged through that, that uh, this week, God, you'll encourage us to pray for um, the youth that are at camp, God. I know in my own life, it's spoken to many times in different camps and we just pray you'd be a billion in the adults so you give them your strength and love and wisdom to press on, even when they're tired, God. We pray for the youth, God, that they would hear your word, God, that you'd speak and work in their lives and transform them. And we also pray for you, pray as we come this morning to hear your word, that we simply wouldn't hear your word, but we'd also have opportunity to live out in word and deed and share your message of the gospel with those around us this week, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the first point we're going to look at is that in Christ, the mystery of God is revealed. Paul says in this first section, he said, he wrote, For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love, so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude." Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. And today we have the privilege of being able to look back and see the full gospel message. It's kind of like, you know, we've already seen the game played out and we're going back and we're watching the game again. We already know how it ends or maybe your favorite movie or you've read a book and you're going back, you know, you know what's going to happen. You know, you know how it's going to end. And so we get to look back and we see that Christ was born of the virgin Mary, that he came, he lived a perfect life, he ministered to the Jews and Gentiles that were there in the land, that he gave himself as a as a sacrifice upon the cross for our sins. That he rose again on the third day and that he's going back to be with God and prepare a place for us as well. And so we get to see the full picture of the gospel of Christ and the fact that he has come, that we have that assurance. But that wasn't always the case. If you go back to Genesis, beginning of the Bible, beginning of the world, uh, Adam and Eve were in a perfect garden, but they sinned against God. They disobeyed him. Sin is when we think or do anything against God's will, and so they disobeyed him by eating the fruit. And so God says, hey, you've done this, there's a just penalty, and that penalty is uh, that you have to be separated from me. You're going to face eternal separation. Physically, we know that death entered the world at that point, and spiritually as well. We're made to be eternal beings. We're here temporarily, but one day we're either going to be with Christ in heaven or be separate from him in a place called hell, a real place. And so that's what they faced. But they still had some hope. God would say in Genesis chapter 3, he said, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And so God's encouraging them, they didn't fully understand, they hadn't had the law and the sacrificial system set up at their time, but he's reminding them, hey, there's going to be one that's coming down the line, and this person is going to put to death Satan and overcome that by mentioning he's going to strike the head, of you know, he, that Satan's going to strike the head of the woman's offspring, but the offspring will strike his heel as well. And so in the, in the Bible terms, this is kind of the first glimpse of the coming promise that there's going to be a Messiah. And Adam and Eve obviously didn't see this in their lifetime, but they could take faith and believe in this as well. And later on, as the generations passed, God chose the nation of Israel from the descendants of Abraham to be his chosen people. He established his law in the Old Testament. We think of the Ten Commandments. We think of the other laws that they have there in the Old Testament there. And he established a sacrificial system as well. And they said, if you want to be right with me, you need to make these sacrifices, they would have killed hundreds and thousands of lambs and goats and birds and all the other sacrifices every year and seen the shedding of the blood, but yet that shedding of the blood was only temporary. They had to keep doing it time and time again, and the law set God's standards. You know, nobody can live up to that. They couldn't, and it sets its holiness as well, and so through the Old Testament, we see God's law bringing out who he is. And yet that sacrificial system foreshadowed the coming, that Christ was going to be the Lamb of God that would one day be sacrificed once and for all for their, for their sins. And they too, were saved by faith as well. We see that in Hebrews chapter 11. It's kind of the hall of Faith, the hall of Fame, as some places may call it. You see all the Old Testament people living. And Paul's reminding the believers that now that they're in Christ, the mystery of God had been, had been shown, it had been revealed to them. And um, Peter, one of the other followers, wrote a letter and he reminds the early church of this. He said, though you have not seen him, you love him, though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith, that is the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you. But the Holy Spirit sends from heaven, angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. And so Peter is reminding the early believers that they had the prophets that have written in the Old Testament. There's numerous prophecies that Christ fulfilled perfectly. And he's saying that now Christ has come. We have that mystery revealed. Christ has come. Paul and the other early church leaders and Christians proclaim that gospel message. And even he says the angels want to look into this, that they too were amazed by what God had done. They're created eternal beings that cannot have salvation, but they're amazed at the work that God had done through the coming of Christ. And so Paul is reminding the Colossian believers, hey, you're already saved. There's nothing else you need to do. There's not some other mystery out there. There's not some other knowledge that you need to pursue. There's not something missing in that gospel message. Rather, you just need to be content in the simple gospel. And so Paul encouraged them as well to do that. And we're encouraged to remember about the mystery of God as well, that Christ has come. And we're encouraged to remember that salvation is found in no other name, no other person. And that there's nothing special or extra we need to search for. I mean, you can go to any bookstore, any library, and it seems like they've always got some sort of self-help book, some sort of spiritual book. There's other books that people put out there claiming that there's something else you need to know, but there's not. God has done it once and for all, and Christ is here. And so as Christians, as a church, I think we need to be alert and be careful, as he's encouraging, to, to check and see what doctrine's being taught, to not be swayed by those things as well. And we're also called as well to share the mystery of Christ to those around us as well. It's not just something we should keep for ourselves, that we should have the desire to share it with those around us. And so just reminding, I'm not the best one on the who's your one, but just remind us that we've got people God's put in our life, and are we taking the time to, to, to be Jesus to them, to be his hands and serve them, but not just serving. If we serve, we do some great service, and that's great. I mean, even non-Christians can do that. But do we take the opportunity to verbally proclaim the gospel of Christ as well, even though that may be an offensive message? So just encourage you and challenge you to continue to pray for your one, continue to share the gospel, that God wants them to be saved too. And so it's in Christ that our hope is found, that our eternal true hope is found in death and life. But secondly, we see that in Christ, eternal life is one. Kind of similar, but, but similar to that. And Paul would continue in Colossians 2, and he writes to them, he said, "You also were circumcised in him, with the circumcision not done with hands, but putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him, and forgave all our trespasses. He erased a certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them and him. And so now we're gonna see that Christ is one, that we have that eternal life from him. And Paul wanted to remind the believers that they had been set free from those Old Testament regulations and the other false teachings. The church was probably a mix of Jewish people and Gentiles, and so it's a mixed congregation. You've got some coming back out of Judaism and they have the Old Testament laws. You've got some coming from the Greek background where they're seeking wisdom and other world religions kind of as a melting pot. And so he reassures them that you have eternal life, you've got it, it's a done deal, uh, you're saved. And so Paul shares how the Jewish law of circumcision was an outward sign. It was a physical act that was done to signify that they were followers of Christ, that God had chosen them, and now that Christ has come, that we have been circumcised by him. And Christ was always concerned in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. He's concerned not by necessarily a physical act that we do. Following him physically and and doing certain things doesn't save us, but Christ is concerned about our heart, and that's the motive that he gets through the Old Testament, that he desires their heart and true worship and not a sacrifice and he's reminding them that as well, that a physical act, while it's symbolic and great, doesn't actually save them. Uh, Paul would write in Romans chapter four to remind them of this issue of circumcision when they were saved. He said, likewise David speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe but are not circumcised, so that the righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised, who were not only circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. And so if you read the Old Testament, Abraham was a heathen. He was living in a sinful world, and God in his mercy and grace chose him and chose him to be saved. We don't know, maybe, if he had heard the stories of God's work in creation and that the faith of the forefathers had been passed down, but God, in his grace and mercy, saved him before he was circumcised. And God later on says, hey, you need to be circumcised as a sign that you're my people, that you're different. But we know that it was his faith that ultimately saved him, and it's our faith as well. And Paul goes on how to share that the physical act of baptism for a new believer shows the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That is, we go down in the water, we die to ourselves, Christ dies for us, and yet we come back out of the water and live just like he has when he resurrected and we have newness of life there as well. And Paul continues in Romans, he said, Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died... He died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so Paul's using this symbol of baptism and reminding them that um, it's an act, it's a symbol. And so we too do baptisms, we have them here on occasion, and we baptize new believers And we don't baptize them to think that baptism has some magical power, that that's the last step they need to do in order to be saved. Unfortunately, there are churches that teach that, but rather we baptize them because it's a public proclamation of what Christ has done in their life. They're saying, I want to publicly identify with God in the church and let them know what God has been doing in my life. And so Paul says baptism doesn't save, but it's a great picture of what has happened. So I think it's also cool where we do it here, but we also get to do it at the the local beach here in a great spot and publicly profess that as well. And so Paul reminds them of the symbol of baptism, that they are alive in him as well. And he proclaimed that while the believers were still dead in their sins, and if something's dead, it, it can't come back to life, Christ made them alive. He paid the penalty of sin through his death upon the cross. God was clear in the Old Testament that the penalty for sin was death. They had to sacrifice the animals. We, too, will have to die for our sins as well. But yet he came at the right time. God revealed Christ in the perfect timing so that Christ could take that penalty of death upon himself in our place. And if you look back, the, the blessing of looking back at history, and you read the Bible, you get to see that it just lined up perfectly in God's timing, that Christ had to die upon the cross. The Old Testament had prophesied that. You look at the Roman times and they they did crucifixion. They nailed people upon crosses and just everything perfect was set up for Christ to come at that right time. And Paul reminds us of this glorious fact in in Romans again. It's a great book. (laughs) He says, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation so it's just amazing to me. I like the book of Romans just reminding the fact that we were dead. We weren't seeking after God. We couldn't do anything to save ourselves. We had this sin upon ourselves bearing down on us. Yet God in his love and mercy came and gave that his son and died for us, God, and made us his friends. We're no longer his enemies. And so Paul's reminding the believers that you can have confidence in the work of God, that it has been accomplished on the cross, that Christ has defeated death once and for all, that Christ is not dying again, it took place one time, and he's reminding them of that as well. And he reminds us to think about that. He says in Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty working in his strength. He exercises power in Christ by raising him from the dead. And seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, every title given, not only in this age, but the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And so we're called to remember that Christ is one, that we have that victory, that Christ has overcome Satan. That Satan's Satan's day is done. That when he died on the cross, he had Jesus, the king of the Jews, above his head. He's taken that penalty. He's given us a new hope in life. And that that's freely available for anybody that would call upon his name. And so Paul's reminding them that if you hear somebody proclaiming a false gospel, you need to run, you need to flee. That that's a false teaching. And every day, I think we should preach the gospel to ourselves as well. We need to remember who we are in Christ and Remember that for our lives and our families, that that's the foundation, that there's nothing else, and that we need to be bold and proclaim that message as well. Last week, we saw that Paul took every opportunity he had to proclaim the mystery of Christ, that he had been saved, that his life had been changed. And we, too, can take that opportunity to, to share Jesus with those around us and what Christ has done for once and for all. But finally, we see that in Christ, true, true spiritual growth happens as well. He said, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink, or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what it was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual minds. mind. They don't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to its regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines, although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. And so Paul's reminding them, you've been saved, Christ has offered that salvation, and now you're supposed to grow in your walk with him, but you're not going to be trapped by these old laws. Uh, They faced a teaching uh, back in their day that, uh, yeah, you've been saved, but if you really want to be saved and really grow in your relationship with God, then You know, you've got to follow these laws, you've got to observe certain holidays or not eat certain foods or do this or do that. And so they were having people come in and tell them, hey, there's this extra information you need to do. And then there were a group of people as well saying, well, that's good, but you know, there's this extra knowledge and wisdom out there. The Greeks uh, love studying and talking about different religions, It was just kind of a melting pot. You know, we'll take a little bit from here and a little bit from there and kind of mix them together and uh, we'll have a new religion. You know, you can pray to angels. You can do all these other spiritual experiences. And uh, these were bad combinations, both uh, following extra regulations and seeking extra spiritual wisdom outside of Christ, uh, always diminished the work and deity of who Jesus was. And we face this today, too. If you look in our world and look in our society, you know, they just want us to sing kumbaya and we're all one and we're all going to get together and... You know, every religion is fine, and you choose your path, I choose my path, but every religion, every cult that you look at, um, they have one thing in common. There might be some truth there, but every single one of them diminishes who Christ is and his work. And so if we see that in the world around us, we need to flee from that. If we see that teaching in the church, we need to set that straight. Uh, That's why it's important, I think, to, to be a person of the Bible. I'm maybe a traditionalist, and I always grew up carrying my Bible to church, made Bible bucks, but... You know, when you're here on Sunday morning or in small group, open up your Bible, check and see what is the pastor and teacher's teaching, and make sure that we're, we stay on the straight and narrow path. And Paul reminded the believers that they're only going to grow by remembering what Christ had done for them and was continuing to do in their life, that Christ's wisdom and power was enough for them to do. And so Peter encourages the early church as well to continue to grow in Christ and not have anything to do with false teachers of the gospel. And I remember having grown up overseas. My, my world was kind of limited to Baptist work. My parents were Southern Baptist missionaries, but we came stateside, and we did stateside assignment for a year. And I hadn't really missed church, probably missed church less than two, you know, 10 times in my life. I can still count today. I was always there, but we decided, you know, let's stay home one Sunday and let's, let's see what's on TV. Let's just see what's out there. And uh, there's all sorts of stuff on TV. Some people proclaiming the solid gospel, other people proclaiming their own message or self-help books out there, um, peddling books and stuff, and so uh, it's out there. We have to be careful about that, and we have to be careful about false teachers. And Peter warns the early church that there's going to be false teachers coming into the church, people wanting to take that and make it their own. He says in Second Peter, there were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation, pronounced long ago, is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. And so Peter's warning, hey, be aware of false teachers. Be aware of what's out there. It's going to happen. Be alert. And he says that they have been a punishment. He says, and continues in Second Peter, he said, Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you're not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And so he's reminding them that you need to stay on the straight and narrow path. You need to only seek Christ in order to have that growth. And this may sound like it's beating a dead horse. I know you've probably grown up hearing this, and I don't know any other way than to to keep focusing on this, but if we're going to really grow in Christ, then each day we need to set aside that time to be in God's Word. Take time to read it. You can read it on your Bible. You can read it on your phone. There's audio apps as well. Originally, the letters were listened to. They were proclaimed aloud. So whether you read it or listen to it or have a combination, we need to spend time each and every day in God's word and praying to him as well individually. But yet I think we're also called to be a part of the body of Christ. When I read the New Testament and the Old Testament, it's not about individual Christianity, it's not about being a lone ranger or living in a monastery and being a monk and shutting the world out from you, but we're called to community, we're called to fellowship. And so do we have a desire to to spend time with God on our own each and every day? And do we have a desire to be a part of God's body, the church? I remember I went to college, I went to Louisiana College, I've changed their name now, but I went there and it was a Southern Baptist College in the middle of the state there, only one. And so our professors were, were mostly Baptists. we had some other denominations there and we always went to chapel. But I knew that one of my priorities was I'm gonna go to a local church on Sunday and I'm gonna find a local body of believers to join with. That just was one of my convictions. But I can remember I had friends that were there and like, ah, oh, why are you going to church? You know, who, who needs to go do that? You know, your parents aren't going to know. They're overseas. Well, I, you know, they don't know my parents. It seems like my parents always have a way of finding out what's going on, you know. you got eyes in the back of your head. you got little spies and all that stuff. I mean, sister and I went to college, so my mom loved it because we could kind of inform on each other. But I said, I'm going to make it a focus and priority to be involved in the local church as well. And so we find guidance and freedom in God's word individually and, and through spending time together corporately. And there's no issue that we face in this world that the Bible does not address. I may not always say things specifically, but it has biblical principles that we can follow, that we can live in and do. And we can also follow God's will as well. I have a lot of people sometimes that tell me, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. I have a hard time. And they're looking for all this mysterious stuff. Honestly, just start with the Bible. God makes it clear. He says you should do this. You shouldn't do that. And then when you've got those challenges in your life, like where to live or what job to take or other colleges to go to or those big decisions where it's not clearly spelled out in the Bible, well, I think if you follow God daily and you follow his principles and you're walking with him, he's going to reveal that as well. And so jointly together, we can remember that true growth only occurs in Christ. And so I'm reminded by this um, in, in my seminary. This was kind of our guiding verse that Christ is first, he is preeminent. It says in Colossians, he also is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. And so does Christ have first place in our life? Does Christ have first place in our church as well? And the musicians can come forward. We're gonna gonna have an altar call here in a moment. And we're coming to a time of response. And I don't know how God has spoken to you this morning, But I can encourage you in the fact that you can remember that you're in Christ, that in Christ, the mystery of God has been revealed, that in Christ, eternal life is won, and that in Christ, true spiritual growth is experienced. And I'd say first and foremost, there may be some of us here today that before we do anything else, we need to respond by realizing that we need Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we don't live up to his standards, that we have a sin penalty, that Christ has paid that for us. We're not promised tomorrow, and so today is the day to respond. Perhaps you need to recommit your life to pursuing Christ day by day. I won't lie. I work as a chaplain, but some days it's, you know, you sometimes unfortunately put God on the back burner. But are we committed to just focusing and renewing that walk with him day by day, spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, and so that we're not going to be led by false teachings? Perhaps you're looking for a church family to be a part of as well. Maybe you've been visiting for a while or new to the area. Um, and you maybe need to commit to joining a local body of believers here at Coastal Oaks. We're not a perfect body, I can tell you that right now, but we love each other and we love Christ. And we're committed to growing, and committed to spreading the gospel together. And we're called to live in fellowship with others and not on our own. Perhaps you need to simply come to this altar this morning and spend time with prayer and God, or maybe there's another decision you need to make. So as the musicians lead us in worship, you come as the Lord leads. I'll be here to pray with you, and our deacons will as well. So if you come as God leads us, thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord.